0: Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed... You know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence and this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for, whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. Today, we're going to talk about something that has been, at least in quiet corners, people have been talking about when we go, to, I go to leadership conferences or I meet with um, uh, leaders externally. And that is, the job of being a leader is getting to be far too complex. And many leaders are starting to scratch their head on how they're going to be able to deal with this. We've got multiple generations, we've got diversity, we've got globalization, we've got an economic market that is just changing. And the old models of how we run businesses just don't seem to be empowering or enabling leaders, particularly middle leaders, to be able to figure out how to do it. Well, today we're going to talk about what's happening, how you can take uh, the reins of what's happening, and improve your performance and productivity as a leader and as an individual, as well as, you know, who's doing it right and what can you do to make it so that your life is a little bit more remarkable? So, with that, uh, today's guest is Dr. Evian Gordon, uh, who is a new friend in my arsenal of, uh, of uh, people who help me understand how to help you. Put this information to practice so that you can be the best person that you can be. But one of the things I find is is that there's been a lot of discussion lately about this idea and the science of neuroscience. And it seems like every time I pick up a coach's uh, credentials or whatnot, they're all saying, I'm a neuroscience. I studied neuroscience and integrated neuroscience is what I got. And frankly, you know, I'm gonna take the point of view of being a third grader and go, hmm? Huh? And, you know, in my book, I talk about questions that you want to ask but seem too embarrassed to ask. This is one of those questions that I think we need to ask. But before I do that, let me let me give you a little background on Evian, formerly known as Dr. Gordon. He's the founder and chief medical officer at totalbrain.com. And that is a company out of San Francisco and Sydney that really works in this area of integrated neuroscience. And from that, it's what they've developed is this mental health monitoring and support platform that is powered by the world's largest standardized brain database. And okay, so I just said a whole bunch of $10 words in this, and we're going we're gonna to break that down so that you'll understand why should you care? They work with thousands of employees at companies like Boeing and Kaiser Permanente, um, who I hope is listening. I'd love to have you as a sponsor, but that's another story. He's got over 30 years of experience in human brain research and is considered one of the originators of the field of integrated neuroscience. He's authored over 300 peer peer-reviewed publications, and his latest book is called The Brain, From Knowing to Doing. And we're going to talk a little bit about the knowing-doing gap, which has been around in concept for a little while. But do we really understand how to make use of that? Hmm, Interesting question. So with that, how are you doing, Evian?
1: Really good, Denise. It's great to speak to you again and uh, looking forward to our discussion.
0: Well, like all things, we listen more from people that we know. And so tell me, I'm just going to ask a really, really dumb question. You're a really smart guy, your background. And when you go to the website, your website, um, totalbrain.com, we clearly know this, that you guys do a lot of deep thinking. How did you, I mean, did you grow up thinking? (laughs) Did you morph into it? How did you, and, and what makes this, so fascinating for you, this idea of integrative neuroscience.
1: You know, that's a great question, Denise. I get asked that a lot. People sometimes say to me, you know, when I think about my, myself, I don't actually think about my brain. And I go, what? like, seriously? And it has taken me f- over 30 years. I am 70 years old now, Denise. I've been in this landscape of the brain and mind for all my life. And it has been surprising to me, mystifying that we have been so poor explaining why the human brain, every home should have one, and <laughs> I that it be an easy sell, but it actually turns out to be not. And the reason is because we haven't made it clear enough about the why and the so what. So, so let me tell you how we got to integrative neuroscience. When I was a young medical student and science student, I did a PhD in the heart. You have a pump. It's got pipes. The pump gets blocked by cholesterol. Mm -hmm. Blood damages the muscle. And if you want to fix it, you either got to get rid of that cholesterol or, you know, increase the width of the pipe that's getting the blood around your body. It was straightforward. Then one day, my PhD supervisor, he said to me, have you seen this fossil called the missing link? It's the, it's the fossil that is, Scientific America said, is the, one of the 25 most important discoveries in science because it highlights to us that in the last 5 million years, our ancestors trebled in size in their brain from Australopithecus to Homo habilis to Homo erectus to us. And he said, have you ever seen that fossil? And I said, no. So he actually showed me the fossil and I went, wow. And I said, I think I'm going to switch to the brain. What I saw quickly as I brought all these people together in my institute from psychology, psychiatry, neurology, physicists, mathematicians, I realized that everyone had their own silo view of what was most critical about the brain. And so we started to look. And he said, not at a specific disorder, but a set of insights that applied to mental health, to well-being, and to peak performance. And to do that, you needed to have all the data brought together, integrative neuroscience, and you had to be selective about that. You couldn't just throw out all this information. But when we talk to people, ultimately, it's here's how your emotions work. Here's how your feelings work. Here's how your rational thinking works, and here's how you can bring them together to create habits that can help you. The biggest insight we also saw is that what is internal, it's all an inside job, manifest externally. If you start internally and you start to understand how you work and you start creating habits that are empowering Then you can see the way you want to deploy those habits externally into the Mm -hmm. outside world Mm -hmm. rather than feeling overwhelmed and going, oh, it's it's there. therefore it's not me. It's you, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really once we started to package it, Denise, which was the point of from knowing to doing, of packaging it from saying it's an inside job, first and foremost, it's about you. When you do it internally and you get this insight and you build some good habits, then what will manifest externally is a more positive contagion. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You are then the driver of your life rather than reacting. You know, you make things happen rather than let things happen. And that started to then, when people get that, when the penny drops, that it's they've started to understand now the emotions and feelings, the decisions, and how their behaviors are influenced mm-hmm. by that. And then they started to go, I'm going to learn new habits that I mm-hmm. got to, to internalize that. And I'm going to focus on magnifying my strengths and limiting my weaknesses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm going to find that trade off and I'm going to deploy that better in the real world. And then suddenly we started to see that we were starting to get people, a lot more engaged, a lot more people engaged by when we said the human brain every home should have one. Instead of like 20% of people being interested, then it started to get like to more than 50, 60, even some cases, 70% of groups that would go to would go, hold on, I think I'm gonna use, I think I'm gonna do this. And okay, they just, so
0: they were beginning to see that I, they could manage it. So the benefit. So, okay, the okay, so the, you, you have yeah. just given me like, I wanna jump up and down and go, ah, we got have some more coffee. Um, Out of this, because part of, you know, so as I listen to and and part of this dynamic world of how this kind of idea of of um, emotions and emotions lead to behavior or decisions, excuse me, decisions which lead to behaviors. It's a loop, a circle, because as you read what happens based on your actions, you begin to get more information that causes more emotional Um, traumas as well as decisions. And I shouldn't say traumas because it's not always traumas, but it certainly is emotional stance, stress, um, happiness. You know, we can name or begin to name those kinds of things. But how does that, so so let's look at the process of this. How does that integrate with, we are dynamic individuals. We're not just, you know, I hear you saying that 70% of folks, when they got it, they realized that they had more agency or control. The ability to say, hey, you know, I, I can use this. I, I, I need a brain in my house kind of thing. I love that. But isn't there a dynamic relationship, particularly in organizations? So dealing in organizations, we are always monitoring, whether consciously or unconsciously, what other people around us are doing and, and hyper-focused on who we consider the leaders whether they have the big L in the title or the small L and they're just influencers in the organization. And we are constantly monitoring what they're doing and gaining signals around how to shape our decisions and our actions around what's going on. Does that show up in your work and this idea of knowing and doing? And, you know, there's hundreds of research out there that says that if you want to lose weight, do it in groups, because the group, we now know you live longer when you're in a group and you have relationships that are solid, et cetera. So there's something evolving in this process that is not so static like we thought it was. Whereas if I, Denise Cooper made the decision, I'm gonna change and all I need to do is just put my plan together, step one, step two, step three. It's really a relationship or at least that's a Deniseism. I think it's some kind of relationship. Are you finding that? Are we, is it evolving yeah. past that? What's up?
1: So that's spot on. So let me take a, let's, let's unpack that further and apply this principle of emotions, decisions and behaviors to that relationship. So the first thing we, we saw, Denise, is okay, we want to look at the relationships at work or in a relationship at home. So let's begin with the principles we saw. It's an inside job, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So before we start the relationship, just let's look what you're bringing to mm. that and what we landed on, Denise, when we looked at all the data, we saw that the number one thing, the top of the pile, was stress control. Mm. do you control stress? Now, why is that so important? Because what we just saw in relationships is that people get hijacked and they don't know why. Now, what does that mean? Let's look at emotions. What are emotions? Well, firstly, we built these laboratories. We had 30 laboratories around the world where we measured, and I won't go into the details now, but we measured one of these things, like how come we feel hijacked and it happens like that in an mm-hmm. instant? Well, Denise, it turned out that the door into our non-conscious, we call it non-conscious, but most people think of it as unconscious, the door into the unconscious brain has been opened and we were one of the groups that did it. What does that mean? It means that we measured ways in which we could see that in a fifth of a second our brain is giving us something very helpful, our our unconscious, non-conscious brain. And what it's doing is it's giving us a snapshot of what is threatening and what is rewarding to us. So as you and I are speaking, if I said something that was threatening, you immediately would go, what? That's ridiculous. Um, Now, how does the brain do that? We're not sure how it does it. What we do know is that in a fifth of a second, the brain is processing. Is this threatening? Is this rewarding? Is this threatening? Is this rewarding? So we get hijacked. And what we mean when we say you need to understand emotions is they are not this, you know, emotions have got a very um, superficial uh, description. They are these hardcore, it's a very helpful dynamic of what is threatening to me? And so it's giving you a signal, threat, threat, threat. So what are the sort of threats that can happen at work? Well, somebody can criticize you mm-hmm. or someone can say something. To you. you know, Denise, I love what you're doing. I love what you just said about what I should do at work. But they somehow their body language is communicating a different message because body language is super critical. Mm-hmm. So if you see a mismatch in what people say versus what they do, or I'll give you another concrete example, of course, that many of your listeners might have done is, The ACIM course, it doesn't matter. It's a a course about increasing your awareness to spirituality, but it doesn't matter. It's whatever Mm -hmm. you do. But Lesson number 21, Helen Shuckman says, even a minor irritation is a veil drawn over intense fury. So my point that I'm saying is sometimes you feel pissed off Mm -hmm. and you you don't know what to do with it. And it's... that it's okay. Like, oh, it's nothing, oh, don't worry. So the point is there are hijacks that are super irritating to us because of the way people talk to us. Right. Messages we get that are not necessarily what they rationally are saying. Mm-hmm. So my point I'm saying is this, we know that communication is complex, relationships are complex. So therefore we need to start off Denise, before I end off in a moment about relationships at work, we need to start off by first going, how do I deal with stress? How do Mm -hmm. I deal when I get this hijack that says, God, that irritates me. Why do they say that? Why are they being so false? How do we deal with that? And so we start off by empowering people with a raft of tools, And I'm not just talking about, I mean, I love meditation. I'm not talking about. No, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, stress in the moment. Like right now, let's say I was at work and someone criticized me and I felt that criticism was unfair. So, what do I do that right now in the moment I can go, whoa? Firstly, we train to not respond immediately because you Mm -hmm. need, everybody knows slow breath is good, but we have very specific tools that show. Certain breathing, like at six breaths a minute, there are tools mm-hmm. to pace you, is the strongest break on your stress system you can find. So in Total Brain, for example, it's called resonant breathing. It doesn't matter. There's some scientific ways. Secondly, Denise, there are empowering mantras, visualizations, body language changes They're just even pulling your shoulders back slowly that can totally change your reaction. Go hijack because it changes your brain state. So, we're training people not just in general to lower their stress, which of course is Go very good. Ahead. Meditate for 20 minutes a day. You know, don't have high sugar content foods that the wrong that are going to start. sleep properly. All the five pillars of health, you know, calm, move, mm-hmm. eat, connect, and sleep. Of course, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in addition to that, how do you really train yourself? and find and discover in a platform of all the pieces that are there what works for you in terms of even we have music, like certain people's sounds, but it's putting together and finding what works for you. Then you train it into a habit. And the point, Denise, about habits is that if you go on the web today, the author and I work closely with the American Institute of Stress, for example, I'm a fellow at the American Institute of And we look and they, one of the things the editor of their wonderful magazine called Contentment they said to me, he said, You know, we're getting tired of the should lists. People are just giving us, <laughs> you should do this. Like, seriously, you should sleep better. You should meditate more. You should be calmer in the moment. Really? How? Yes. So we're moving away from the should lists which to many people are stressful. I don't yeah. they make me stressed because I'm not doing like 90% of what's on there. Right, right, right. You're going, why don't you do one thing properly and learn how to activate it when the hijack hits you? Yes. So we're moving, whether it's American Institute of Stress or whether it's I work with the American Heart Association, we're doing that for stressing in the way when you're eating stress. And I'm a stress eater, Denise. Mm-hmm. Stress is it's not what I eat that's my problem, it's why I eat.
0: Yeah, I can't yeah, stop
1: yeah. eating because of my stress at night. I'm have mm-hmm. a lot of very really stressful days. So we're we working with stress in the moment, mindful eating, stress in the moment when you get criticized, whatever the hijack is. So that's the point about we focus on stress in the moment. Then, Denise, when you now go into the relationship at work and you have that model that I've summarized, the, the sort of, What are the deep insights about the integrative neuroscience? Well, let's just recap them. What is internally new, you're going to manifest externally. Mm -hmm. So if you're you're going to stress other people out. Right. If you're negative, that negativity is going to be contagious. If you're positive, it's going to be contagious. Then secondly, as you said, well, now I'm aware, emotion and feelings, and feelings, let's just talk about stress. It could be joy, but just stress for the moment. Emotions and feelings, which are tightly coupled, decisions and behaviors so now we say okay so let's start off with the mother load which is stress what are you doing now you're into the relationship and you've got a slightly different lens you're thinking about how you work and lastly the only other point i'll say denise is that group dynamics are very very tricky
0: Mm -hmm.
1: now and we've discovered and seen that even if there's one very negative person it's contagious Mm -hmm. so you need to just be aware of what am I dealing with but let's even take a simple example I am an extrovert extroverts have low arousal so that's why they need external input they need input they like iterating and resolving things in the moment in an Mm -hmm. intro many of my closest people at work are deep introverts Mm -hmm. they are highly aroused they actually don't like to be forced to give an answer in the moment. They want to think right. about it. Right. They want to put it together. So you start observing and being a little more aware of what is their brain function like? Even the most basic thing, are they extroverts or introverts? Are they negative or positive people? Mm-hmm. You know, I happen to be a sort of positive on the surface, but I kind of had kind a of, sort of magnified threat. So I'm a little bit of a negative person at my core. Mm-hmm. What are they? So when you've got this simple brain-based insight, as I said, you start becoming the expert on yourself internally and then how to best harmonize with other people in a way that's not just simplistic or wishful thinking or just about what people say, but it's the way you show up.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How does your voice sound? Is your voice highly frequenced and stressful? Are you saying and meaning it, that the meaning shows in your body language? Are you authentic? And I suppose I'll end up with one other word that we've seen that's critical. Cool. It's not a word. It's a process. Mm-hmm. Presence. So that when you show a bit of work for somebody, are you really present? Or are you just going through the motions to try and impress them or get what you need? Or is this just transactional? Or are you actually trying to build something? I like okay
0: so, so let's pause there. Let's yeah, let's pause there because that leads me to something that I hear a lot and you probably hear too. Is I as I work with leaders, as I talk to leaders, as I make these presentations, etc. And I noticed this also in, in the book, the from the knowing to doing um process out of here that you know, guys, I, I encourage you to pick it up and and at least get to understand how your body works, particularly if you're a leader, because you do set the temple in the workplace. But one of the things that I hear a lot from um, more senior leaders is, is that they believe that younger leaders, younger individuals have a lower tolerance for handling change, adversity, kind of going with the flow in life. And the other thing is something you just said about when you show up, show up and be present. And, you know, they're on the phones. Thumbs are moving faster than anything. We're, you know, we're consumed with this thing called a phone here or an iPad or a Surface tablet, whatever it is. And that does disconnect us from one another. We think we're hearing. We think we can multitask. We really can't do it on things that are new to us. But And that's old stuff that's been out there for a long time, but it's all habits. Is, is there something true or have you guys done the research to find out from generation to generation, is our capacity for change going down?
1: It's a great question. You know, we'd, as I said, we don't have a monopoly of wisdom in any of this, but what we have seen, and we've also built a course with a company called Whatbox for leaders, because leaders bring the climate.
0: Mm-hmm. So they
1: often ask this question, and here's what we're seeing. There's no capacity difference in the brain. You know, there's no them and us when it comes to the brain. When we look in this world's biggest brain database, we see that it's all just a continuum. It's just a matter of we all go through periods of anxiety and depression and peak performance. It's more just a matter of how much of the hijack you have and how well you deal with it. So what we see in young people is they are different, but there's a reason. It's not because their capacity is different is that they are facing a level and a pace of change that we simply didn't have. I mean, look at today. Even in the last three years, the extent to which artificial intelligence has like a tsunami into the workplace, mm-hmm. the job insecurity that that is bringing, the fact that was what was previously valued was skills, and now what's being valued is innovation. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are tremendously challenging issues for young people, the level of uncertainty, then also there's a greater awareness about identity. So mm-hmm. they now have a much greater choice and a much greater exposure to information. So they're not as easily or we have a simpler model. The world was simpler, 1020 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and and so what we see today, Denise, is that it's not a capacity issue. It's kind of like our awareness that there is such a massive pace of change that what Young people are seen to be more sort of, you know, fragile and uh, failure to deal with conflict and, uh, you know. I think a lot of that is simply that the complexity is different and that with that kind of complexity they're facing, we just don't have good models for it. And it even increases the importance of insight into how all of our brains are working because there's never in human history been a time of this pace of change. And I know every era that I've lived through, and I've lived through generations now, mm-hmm. say that. But when I compare that, it is real. I mean, it's nothing like it. There is just nothing like it. So I think that's part of the problem that I see in younger people or that we see. And we look at their data and you can see they are they'll they're embracing complexity, but it's kind of overwhelming. Okay. And are very poor models to deal with it. At this point, from everybody, and they are like so amazing. I mean, they are so adaptive, but not quite in the same way that our early rules of work life were set up. You know, the days of carrot and stick are gone. They are, yeah, they horrible. They just don't work. Most. I mean, you can try and impose them if you want it. Good luck. And there's some people that are scared, so they don't want to lose their job, so they do it. But for real growth companies, growth mindset, well, mm-hmm. openness. They are embracing that complexity, and they are focusing on innovation because innovation. The World Health Organ, the World Economic Forum, has said that the vast majority of jobs within the next two years, twenty years, is going to be innovation based. The best jobs are going to be innovation based. So they're they're embracing it, but it's a work in progress. It, it's tr- tricky, but I do not believe there's a capacity problem. I believe that the leaders have not yet. Formed a good model of articulating a way to deal with this new complexity that meets people where they are, for the younger people in particular to really listen to what they are showing up with and, and dressing and modifying the model, this brain model that we mentioned, the emotion, feeling, decisions, and behaviors, modifying it in a way that works for them. And lastly, Denise, there's a big difference with young people they are demanding to be treated as individuals. It is not, you know, for us to go, well, what group do you belong to? And groups are gone for them. I am an individual. Mm -hmm. I have my specific identifications and I demand to be treated as an individual Mm -hmm. in every way. And that is a new world.
0: So, So let me ask you this question, because as I look at leadership, particularly that kind of middle manager leader. Um, You know, senior leaders get insulated from this kind of complexity of having multiple individuals and then trying to create kind of a core group out of this. But we are putting more and more and more on that group of leaders or middle managers or whatever that middle strata is in an organization. The pressure's really on for them not to just understand the business model and the economics of it, but now we're saying they've got to understand supply chain. I mean, you know, the last three years has been tremendous in terms of what we had to push down so that they can meet customer needs and make the bottom line work in essence out of this. And now we're saying, now I hear you saying that we still haven't created a model or at least a mindset or a framework in which we can begin to deal with the level of complexity and the movement away from maintaining and sustaining processes to being creative and innovative or at least inventive and implementers of new ways of being. That's what innovation is really about. And so there sounds like there is a gap in the way managers have been equipped for and are being equipped to lead in these organizations and the old model, when I hear you say this, the old model of, you know, we came through this flatter, 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 less people, less people, technology is going to take over. And I say that we've re- kind of reached a point of no return on this flat organization because there's really no capacity for people to even think about change because every habit that has to be undone takes a minute to get undone. And there are consequences to doing that. But as I listen to you, it sounds very much like we have cre- we're have we in this space of leadership in organizations in which there's very little discussion and not good models in place around how do we manage the complexity of the environment the people and the services that we have to produce in order to make a healthy company run, and you know this whole shebang to make what it's supposed to make, right? It are you are you noticing that? Is did I get that from what you're talking yeah, about? No, the is, more you're it. talking about this, the less I hear that we got we got, we have figured this out, or we're even experimenting. Yeah, I think that's
1: spot on. You know, I, what we see is that the. Onus is on the middle, and you're so right, the middle managers to bridge the brain gap. What do I mean by mm-hmm. it? the brain gap is they assume and have been assuming that rationality will prevail. If you just give people the rational business case, this is the ROI, this is our product market fit, this is why we're going to be a successful business, this is what you've got to aim at. You've got to justify your KPIs for this business, that that's enough. But mm-hmm. when you look at the surveys, of people, you see that there are two factors that are new. The first is that people hugely value the quality of their bosses' authentic relationship with them, okay? They value that. They will look for that. They will when they when we into when we hire people, they literally look and ask about that issue and and if they, We want to try and get them to stay with the company rather than move on. That is a massive factor if there's not a good relationship with their middle management Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: quality of that relationship. And the second and kind of more interesting thing, Denise, from a brain point of view, is meaning. People say that they want purpose in their jobs, and they're not kidding. Mm -hmm. We have employed people as a brain company who work for us for a fraction in San Francisco that they could get A couple of miles away in Silicon Valley, a fraction. Why? Because they want to be part of a company that is purpose-based, that has a mission. And in our case, the mission is, you know, to bring mental health and brain awareness to people on scale. So meaning matters, and that is new. And lastly, Denise, when, when leaders overflog the rational delusion that that's all you need today and they do not sort of harmonize this new world, I call it the brain-based world because it's a whole brain-based world where you take the emotions, the feelings, the balance you know the, the, of, of, of that with decisions and behaviors and outcomes, when they do not address that, so it's almost like they start to, and they are doing it, they're moving from rational models that are mm-hmm. purely rational to become more rational plus meaning mm-hmm. and personalized. And I think that is happening. I think that's why the smartest leaders are looking for courses and personal development, why they have coaches and they want coaches to help them overcome and get away from just the sort of simplistic business speak of you know the, 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 the big, the big RRR, product market fit, KPI, quarterly earnings, where people are sick of that. I mean, of course that's critical. And if you don't get that right, you'll be in trouble, but that is not enough. Not enough in the in the really in the way that business is evolving. It's a new in the
0: competitive nature, yeah.
1: With moving to innovation for real, these are not my opinions. It's just look at the surveys, look at the World Economic Forum. Um, This is what they are flagging, and the smartest leaders are grappling to do it because they've never had to address this level of complexity, speed of change, and Mm -hmm. meet people. As the complex people that they are, without pandering. I mean, leaders do not like the idea that they're going to have to be, you know, psychotherapists yeah. to their years. Right. They hate it. They want. They go. Look, we got enough problems. We want. You know, we want,
0: and they're it- not qualified either. I mean, no. it, it, and, we and they, they really, really don't want any people. Any people. They won't sound like that.
1: Exactly. But they're also beginning to realize that there's no such thing as, and I don't even like the word mental illness. It's mental challenges we all face it. And so we stop. So, the best way to destigmatize mental health is with the reality that everyone has challenges Mm -hmm. and you address the challenges rather than saying, Oh my God, I want to employ people who have a mental health burden. No, you've got to employ people because often those same people are the most creative, they're the most innovative. You've got to judge people on the basis of their merits. That's what it comes down to. And I think that's where things are evolving to. Last, you
0: know, kind of the last question Do you see anybody who's really uh, like either out there leading edge or doing it right?
1: Okay. I, I, we deal with a lot of these big corporates, 40 of them. And, I, you know, I see companies, obviously companies like Google are staggering. You know, they're mm-hmm. just they're trying. They're embracing it. There are, you know, I don't see companies, to be honest. I see companies are still yearning for the days so or like, oh, it simple. Yeah. It's simple drive-out quarterly earnings. That's what we're here for. Um, but I do see individuals, you know, we as we do this course with leaders and we I see individual leaders. Okay. Absolutely different. They are like chalk and cheese. Or yeah, you know, they totally different. That they are they are those people that are embracing change. And there are those that are trying to find an a rationalization for not changing too fast.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's what I see. And I don't see corporates No, That as a you know, I see a lot of corporates have the same sounding, oh god, they sound Awful, those elevator pitch nonsense, empty, vacuous m- triumph of marketing over substance. I know that sounds a bit harsh, but honestly, they all sound so similar. But within those corporates are very different individuals who are marvelous. So it's still, it's still
0: coalescing there.
1: I think it's coalescing. I think it's highly individualized.
0: And as you guys are listening to this, one of the new sectors we're going to have on here is this. And, and to wrap up. And so as you talk, walk away from here, here are a couple of things that I think you ought to think about wrapping up with. One is, if, if you are a leader, then you have to understand that it starts with you. You set the pace in your organization, that there probably isn't anyone out there yet who can help you figure this out. But there are individuals who you can connect with who might be able to help you figure it out and give you the emotional support, as well as the brain support, brain being decision-making and habits and exper- ability to create experiments that are going to help you get better at this. So it, think of it that way. There isn't a school that you can go to that's going to teach you how to do this. Two, this is an evolving issue. If we look at what Dr. Gordon has said in terms of the next couple of years, World Health Um Foundations, World Economic Forum, et cetera, are all talking about the next edge is really around change and innovation. And this idea of change is really about you can be an agent of change or you can be a change agent. And you have to know which side are you going to be on. And there may be questions of which side you're going to be really good at. It's not to dissuade you from being a leader in the future, but we are sounding the bell today, I hope that you will understand that the things that you may have chosen in the past, you might need to sit back and reexamine to see how you're going to go forward to be successful. And so the remarkable lesson for today is this. It all begins with you. Know that you have the ability to not only influence and determine what your outcomes are going to be, but you have the ability to determine how others are going to play this game with you and that connections matter. Evian, how can people get a hold of you?
1: Oh, well, um, you know, my, my, uh, my website is drheviangordon.com. And um, I, it's been a, a, a great pleasure to speak to you today, Denise. Your, your questions and your whole preparation for this have just been masterful. Thank you so much.
0: You're welcome. And guys, do not forget to go out and get his book, The Brain. From Knowing to Doing, you can get it on his website, TotalBrain.com, or I'm sure it is on uh, Amazon and Barnes and & Noble and all those other wonderful places. Just on my
1: personal website, on DrHeavyAndOrton.com. Ah. That's kind of, that's so kind of you to mention it. But, but it's just been a great pleasure to, um, to speak to you. And I hope everybody remembers that at the end of the day, it's all an inside job.
0: That's it. There you yeah. go. And you heard it first, guys. Thank Thanks. you so much for coming Thanks in. For we'll talk to you next week. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network, and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.